The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's Steelers week, and because it is Steelers week, we went with the the little bit of the older video intro to the show because I Taylor was on that one, so we got to give a little little bit of a, a Steelers montage there, I guess. I'm Anthony Cadenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, joined by John Sheeran, and we are, before we took the air, we were commiserating about what was transpiring in week two. Very, very frustrating game to watch. We will cover that and much more this week. But, John, how are you doing otherwise after the Bengals lose a otherwise winnable game? I don't know, man. Like, the weather is starting to turn in Cincinnati. The team, I think, practiced inside of the stadium because there's a roof on Paul Brown, on Paul Brown Stadium, um, not on the practice fields. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't, I don't know why they think practicing. I don't know. A whole other thing. It was raining. It felt like fall. It's the first day of fall. It's Really does feel like football season, but I think the weather kind of kind of set the mood for this upcoming week. You know what I mean? It, you know, I, I know we don't get as crazy of seasons where I am or the turning of seasons, but it's it's been really warm where I am. But it's that if for those familiar with Southern California, it's like the Santa Ana really hot that last push before you get that that autumn crispness in the air, and uh, you know you can kind of feel it here and there, but. Uh, you know, I just talking about, well, we'll talk about the, the bears game that just really, I don't know, man, that, that, uh, that one took a little bit out of me. I'm not going to lie watching that one and uh, a little bit frustrating. I know the Bengals players are frustrated. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what may be ahead for the Cincinnati Bengals, what we believe could be changing. If anything, how important this next week is for the Cincinnati Bengals as they go to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. And of course, we're going to preview all things Bengals versus Steelers, injury reports, latest moves, all kinds of different angles to be covered here. You can get this show and all of the great podcasts on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of those audio platforms. We're on all the major ones. And of course, you can always get our show on the YouTube channel. 
Uh, there's a subscribe little logo right under John's left shoulder there. So click that and get uh, click the bell as well to get notified when we go live, when new material is av available. We've been bringing you stuff basically almost every single day of the week, um, four or five, sometimes six episodes per week. So uh, we're, we're, we're bringing you all kinds of different stuff. Hope you enjoy it. Do we have to talk about week two, John? We have to do. It's our job. <laughs> well, <laughs> right, let's let's kick it off. Man, uh, I don't know. I, I think because we were talking about this earlier about how this it felt like a winnable game because we do this thing after week one where we see how every team is playing and we establish narratives and we have a certain idea of, of what teams are going to be after just one week. We saw the Bears get embarrassed by the Rams on Sunday Night Football. The defense was lifeless. They had no pass rush. The Rams just threw the ball at will against them. They scored 34 points. Bengals are coming off of an exciting win against the Vikings. They're thinking, okay, we'll just go up. they'll just go up to Chicago. They'll take on Andy Dalton in that offense, and they'll win pretty comfortably. You know, even though it's, it's on the road, they're – Two-point underdogs, like, yeah, it's fine. Turns out the Bears still kind of talented. And the story is obviously the offensive line kind of crapping the bed a little bit against a very talented Bears front four. But, like, that was the one thing that could have turned the game into the Bears' favor, and it happened. It, it was a possibility that when you're riding high after a 1-0 start, the first 1-0 start since 2018 – not really thinking about the negatives because the negatives don't matter when you're winning, but it was a reality and it was a reality that should have been in the circle in the realm of expectations, which is why I think it's more on the play calling and the, the lackluster planning and preparation of the offense that I think is more of the story because I think we have to expect the offensive line at this point, the current iteration to not be talented enough against the majority of pass rushing units that they face, especially the, the, the Chicago Bears. Cleo Mack, Robert Quinn, Bilal Nichols, Akeem Hicks, those guys are, are not scrubs. That's a top-tier unit that played really well in front of their home crowd. That that should have been the expectation, that the offensive line was going to have trouble. But with the way that Zach Taylor is calling and planning this offense, it can't have lapses in execution. It can't have mess-ups in communication. It can't have blandness and just predictability in the way that it's structured in the way that it's carried out. So Anthony, I think the biggest story is not necessarily the offensive line because that is like that, that should be expected that they have some struggle struggles, but this is year three of Zach Taylor and he's rolling out these very bland plate game plans against really solid defenses. And it's just not really going to cut it anymore. I that's, that's a great point about the year three thing. And when you're in year three of the system, yeah, there's some new parts. There's Riley Reef, but Riley Reef's been in the league for a really long time. There's Xavier Suofilo, who was in and out of the lineup last year. He's been in the league for a really long time. You've got Quentin Spain now, who should be accustomed to this system based on being in it for about half a year last year. You've got Jonah Williams back. Trey Hopkins still, I think, trying to come back from that injured knee. But, I mean, a, a veteran guy. You've got Jamar Chase, but I mean, you've got guys in this offensive system who have either been here for a while, whether it's on the offensive line, whether it's the peripheral weapons, what have you. It's just kind of, you know, the communication issues, the, the lapses in just these major dry spells on offense, the inexplicable turnovers. 
it, it it just shouldn't be this way in year three. There are a lot of embedded excuses into this game that people could use. Long game in week one, play basically an extra whole quarter. Not a lot of people wanted to talk about that, but that could have been a factor. Then you go on the road after that. Then you play a stout defensive line, like you mentioned. However, it just seemed that the Bengals didn't even look at the film from Sunday night of the Rams and what they were doing to, to, to expose the bears and expose their secondary. And then when the Bengals tried to do and emulate some of those things, it ended up working for a span of, you know, the, the big play to chase chase got opened down the left sideline as well. Burrow missed him, but it, it just it was kind of like, where, where has this been now? Zach, I know on, on Monday said, there were some shots that were taken away. You put up a nice tweet, John, that kind of displayed a couple of those instances. So I recommend folks kind of take a look at that on John's Twitter account. But I mean, still, it was it was bland. Burrow was throwing I, the, the the interception to T. Higgins. It, it, there was like no separation, right? And then you got T. Higgins a deep ball. They did take a shot earlier in the game, a ball that was a contested catch. But T. Higgins is known as a contested catch guy. It. It was just a lot of good plays from a lot from a lot of good players, but then those same players made at least one major miscue, um, whether that was on defense or offense. And if we're focusing on Zach Taylor and the offense, John, I just I guess I just have to say again to your point, year three communication issues shouldn't really be a problem. Getting yards, getting points with the weapons that you have shouldn't really come at such a premium at this point. So let's compare week two to week one, because I don't think there was that big of a difference in the overall plan and the the scheme. The results were just better. The Bengals weren't penalized very often in week two. I think they were penalized twice. They were very solid running the football, had like 140 rushing yards on 20 or so carries. The offense was still kind of bland for a good part of that game. Like they punted the ball the first three or four times. It's just that when they opened things up more towards the later part of the second half, they like to they like to capitalize on that. I think Matt Minnick calls it like the middle eight or the middle six, like the last three minutes of the of the first half and the first three minutes of the second half. That's when they started to get into urgency mode against the Vikings. They threw the ball deep to Jamar Chase. They started to get some, some success on offense. They didn't really start. They didn't really have that urgency until they really were forced to when Burrow was turning the ball over and they really just had to start opening the opening the passing game up. But it, it seems pretty clear at this point that they don't want to expose Burrow that much on obvious passing situations and when he does drop back it's an empty and the ball is designed to get out quickly and i understand the propensity or the the desire to facilitate the offense out of empty because in theory it's supposed to negate a pass rush that can win quickly by getting the ball out and giving your quarterback a ton of options to just it's almost like an extension of the run game because the passing plays aren't designed to to travel more than like five air yards so like it's, it's these quick plays that are supposed to just move the, move the ball consistently and keep you out of second and third and long situations or go keeping your quarterback out of obvious passing situations where he can get sacked. The problem is if the defenses are expecting that and after one week of film, the Bears had fresh tape to expect what was happening and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And then they had the plan to stop it and there was no counter from Zach Taylor. So it seems pretty obvious at this point that they're still having this constricted game plan to protect Burrow from getting hit more times than he's already going to get hit. And it was just too late for them to counter it. They didn't do anything until the f- fourth quarter. And their three biggest plays of the game came when they were down by multiple scores because the Bears at that point, like it was just 
it, it had to happen at some point, right? The Bengals were going to make some mistakes on offense if they kept basically giving Bears the Bears chances to do so. And Burrow mentioned it in his press conference that those interceptions, he was just kind of forcing things to happen because nothing was happening at that point. So I think the biggest adjustment now is that if you're going to continue with this constricted game plan, your urgency or your propensity to, be, to become more urgent has to come a lot sooner than just the start of the fourth quarter. The, the other thing that's frustrating about it, we can talk about well, with the deep ball, the deep ball, and where, where was it? Okay, but it's not even just that, John. You can still have some semblance of protecting Joe Burrow from these hits and sacks and all of that by doing and calling plays that are right in his wheelhouse, which are the intermediate throws. He was one of the best intermediate throwers in 2020. He had a couple of nice intermediate throws against the Vikings. Those were basically non-existent. I, the one that really comes to mind was the one that T. Higgins fumbled away, right? I mean, it was it was a yeah. crosser that was a 14-yarder, and, you know, he tried to make something happen. The ball gets out. But, I mean, everything was short. Everything was r- right in front of him. And there are intermediate pl- passing plays that you can draw up that can still limit hits and sacks on Joe Burrow and this is one of his strong points strongest points as an NFL quarterback and there was just that didn't seem to be existent in the game plan either on offense and that was frustrating to me I also this is why I think the Justin Fields variable I think it's why the NFL is as popular and as intoxicating as it is because going into the game there it was just a collective nervousness of Bengals yep. fans thinking yep. if Justin Fields plays most of this game then the dynamic changes right then the Bears become a much more dangerous team because we've already crowned Justin Fields as a better quarterback than Andy Dalton and it turns out out of the three quarterbacks that played on Sunday Andy Dalton played the best yeah he, just he did. Happened to play the least amount and when Justin Fields came in the game he looked pretty damn inadequate for a quarterback which is fine it's his first time he's actually playing real snaps as an NFL quarterback and is going up against a defense that's playing really well right now but also the ironic part is not only did Justin Fields keep the Bengals in the game, he kept the Bears alive with two Herculean efforts that had nothing to do with him being a quarterback. It was him recovering his unstripped sack and him evading Trey Hendrickson's sack. So just when you think you know everything, you know nothing. But it's why the NFL is so it's so addicting and it's why we're still talking about it. Well, let's let's get a little positive here and talk about the Bengals defense. There were some mistakes. There were, you know, the, the taunting pedal penalty on Von Bell, which I thought was pretty weak. There, you know, a couple of uh, the Trey Hendrickson where he let Fields get through his grasp at the end there. Logan Wilson didn't scoop up the fumble, but all in all, John, the defense 206 yards allowed. They did get an interception that kind of turned the game in a much different direction late in the game. 3 sacks this defense is is playing pretty well, particularly, I, I would say, I know Logan Wilson missed that fumble. PFF scores stats show he is playing pretty dang well at linebacker, and that interior of the defensive line is playing very well also. The defense line seems to be carrying this right now. Like, Chidobe, oh, sorry about that. Chidobe Wuzier is playing very well. He's playing mm-hmm. as advertised. Uh, Jesse Bates, Von Bell, still solid at safety. But it is the production from the defensive line. And credit to Trey Hendrickson, who is like top 10 in pass rush win rate right now. But he's had some really favorable matchups. Like the Vikings don't have a lot of tackle. He had a 40-year-old Jason Peters to just run around uh, on last Sunday. So he's taking advantage of some pretty opportune matchups. And that's going to continue for, I think, the next couple of weeks. Because I don't really think they play a solid left tackle for a while now. I think they played Penesul in a couple of weeks. But he has this great stretch ahead of him where he's really 
earning his status as a $60 million guy. And DJ Reader get, got his first sack. Um, BJ Hill continues to play well. Larry Gajobi continues to play well. It's still a little bit too early for me to say that this is going to be a defense that finishes top 10 in the NFL in most major categories, most meaningful categories. But right now they're taking advantage of playing offenses that are still kind of finding themselves. And it's it really is it, it's carrying the team right now because the offense is just too inconsistent to be relied on. But credit to them. The investments seem to be paying off right now. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from the defensive line. I mean, the, the two running backs they faced were what top, I, I know they were in the top 10. I think what top six last year in terms of rushing yards, they've held them each to 61 yards on the ground and sub four yards per carry. So credit, credit what they're doing there. And really when you look at this game, yeah, the defense missed some opportunities for the turnover and at the end of the game to get the ball back. But I mean, for the most part, you give up 206 yards on the road total, you get a turnover and you only allow 13 points as a defensive unit, you should win that game. I mean, it's just, if you're on the, on the road in the NFL, you only let up 13 points, barely over 200 yards. You got to win that game. And the Bengals defense is doing largely what, what it needs to do. Now there are some lapses. There are some, you know, in week one, there were kind of some, some lapses. And I think it kind of the catalyst was the, the fourth down deep in their own territory where the Bengals ended up giving the ball back. But um, for the most part, I think the defense is is doing what you needed to do and then some. I mean, I, I, I've been pretty pleased based on what I've seen and, and the pressure they've been able to generate on the quarterbacks that they've played. And, uh, you know, I, I think we would like a few more turnovers. I know Zach Taylor mentioned that and that didn't sit well with a lot of people this week based on how the offense performed and his game plan being criticized and rightfully so. I think that's the, the one thing where you can kind of get a little more of those tide turning plays, but they're getting the ball back, limiting points, limiting yards, John. Yeah, it's tough to ask your defense to be a turnover machine if you don't have more than one player who's has a capability of producing them in Jesse Bates. Like, like I mean, Von Bell, he's a hard hitter, Mike, Mike Hilton as well, but none of them have this great reputation of forcing a lot of fumbles necessarily, or you know, they don't really have a cornerback right now with immense ball skills to rely on interceptions but there was even that perception i think after the game like you know the offense was obviously the offense and it wasn't getting any credit whatsoever nor should it have but there were some people going after the defense a little bit and some of those mistakes you know the missed tackles here and there the the eli apple you know easy targets they they kind of get amplified when the game is ugly like that but if the Bengals had this defense like last october when the offense was clicking they would like that's all they needed, right? They just needed a defense like this to, to keep them in the game. And now the defense is clicking while the offense is having an identity crisis. So it's kind of the state of what most bad football teams or most struggling football teams go through. Just when one thing is going well, the other, the other, the other aspect, the other side of the ball is, is kind of finding its way, you know? The other good bright spot continues to be Evan McPherson. Uh, the guy ends up being a major weapon, hits a 53-yarder on the road. His second consecutive week with a 53-yard field goal has not, knock on wood, missed. He now goes to Heinz Field, and we know how that field treats kickers. But <laughs> if not missed, a kick in a game, extra point or otherwise, it's joining the Cincinnati Bengals. It is, it's pretty unbelievable, and these haven't been easy kicks. So I, I continue to be very impressed with the rookie. Um, there, there's kind of been some ups and downs in the return game. There was some real questionable 
return decisions by both Darius Phillips and Brandon Wilson last week and, and some issues there. Uh, Kevin Huber remains kind of steady, but Evan McPherson, he is kind of the offense's best friend at this point. What do we think of this nickname from at Edward Emerlin on Twitter, EMP? Oh, that I, I think I saw that. Was that the Matrix, uh, a reference to the, the Matrix? Yeah, movie? yeah. Like that? I like that. I like that. It, it, might, it might be the clubhouse leader for me. Yeah. Um, but but just real quick, is Brandon Wilson going through some type of a crisis right now? It's almost like he has something to prove as a kick returner because there was some – it's been now two weeks now – I don't think he's made it past the 30 yard line and he's taking literally everything out of the end. So he muffed the first kickoff return and they yeah. started at like the 10 yard line. Yeah. Something, yeah. something might be up with him right now. Well, he, yeah, there's been some real questionable decisions on, on his returns. And there's been a couple of drives that have started way deep in the Bengals territory in the first couple of games based on his decisions. And then you've got Darius Phillips continuously calling for fair catches a lot of times deep inside the Bengals own territory, which is, to the chagrin of a lot of us. So, uh, you know, the decisions there, I, I, both those guys can pop one. We know that. I mean, that's the, their athleticism, their speed, everything. They can pop one at a moment's notice. But some of the decisions in the first couple of weeks have uh, have a lot to be desired, <laughs> to, to, put it, to put it bluntly. But, you know, uh, special teams, I think it'll ride itself. Uh, Darren Simmons heads that group up. I'm confident in him. But McPherson is just ending up. I know Chase is balling out, but uh, you know McPherson's right there is one of the one of the best rookies in this class, which is I know kind of ironic to to laud a kicker like that, but uh, it is what it is, man. I mean he's he's playing well. Only only kicker drafted seems like the only kicker that should have been drafted. Just is what yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, we could use this for our next segment, which is believe it or not, but I think we'll. I, I kind of want to end this, end our Bears Week Two talk on this talking point, John. As I kind of digested everything with the result and how the Bengals played and everything, and then you see the reactions on Twitter from you know prominent fans and and writers and all kinds of different folks that cover the team and root for the team. There's basically kind of a, a two different mindsets at this point. It would seem one of which is hey, just a blip on the radar. This is a learning game. They're still a young team. It was. It took four turnovers for them to lose this game, and they still almost won it, so they're right there. The other mindset that some folks have is the, the one that is, this is still a struggling team. This is another one-possession game that Zach Taylor and his team didn't close out, and we're still seeing a lot of familiar issues in terms of offensive line play, in terms of really long dry spells on offense. Do you have an opinion on that? I, I'm I'm kind of in the middle. There are times where I say this was just such a fluke game. And I, I referenced the five quarters of play in week one and going on the road after that. But the, the familiar mistakes and the, the weird turnovers, that worries me. I think it depends on what your expectations were coming in. I think we both had them around like a 500 team. They're on pace to be exactly a 500 team <laughs> yeah. or as close yeah. as 500 as you can in a 17 game schedule. It comes down to the quarterback, man. Like, how much are they willing to let him be the old Burrow? Like, I think he talked about on Wednesday in his press conference, like getting out of the pocket and creating is something that I have to be, become more, I have to kind of return to that mindset because it just hasn't really happened. And I think that's a dimension that 
like they can still do what they can to protect him and get the ball out quickly, but that adds a dimension that can create more explosive plays. And, you know, right now they have just as many deep ball touchdown passes as they did all of last year. So that has improved just with the addition of Jamar Chase. But the offense needs to get out of more third down situations and just move the ball more consistently on the early downs. And that comes with better play calling. That comes with running the ball better, but it comes from better play from the quarterback too. It's still early in the season. He's still he's still playing in his first game since recovering from that knee injury. But I think we will see a better Joe Burrow as the season goes on, and that will keep him in games. But at the end of the day, if you expected this team to go to the playoffs and win 11, 12 games, probably wasn't the year for that. But if you're expecting them to be competitive towards the year year's end, yeah, I think it's way too early to freak out and think that they won't be that. I yeah I you know I, I trend to the more positive on this on this side of thing where I think this was just kind of a real fluky thing I think four turnovers in a game is not a regular type of situation particularly when you have Joe Burrow under center it's just not the norm so I I, I trend to towards being more positive in terms of the outlook going forward here but this one coming up is a is a big game we'll talk more about that and they need to figure out ways to to remedy the hits and sacks on Joe Burrow whatever that is while also creating more big plays and the other thing you referenced with the run game i said this in the post game show john if you're going to commit if you got three downs to work with if you're going to commit to running twice on those downs on those three downs at some point at certain points not every time but at some points those two runs have to net you 10 yards and move the sticks. You can't mm-hmm. keep getting three yards and three yards. You, you can't, you have to be able to extend drives. You have to be able to get Evan McPherson on the field. And, and even if it's for a long kick by, by methodically moving down the field, these three yards and netting five yards on two runs, netting seven yards on two runs. If, if you're going to commit to running twice in a, in a three down series every once in a while, you got to be able to get, 10 yards off of two runs. Yeah, they ran the ball 20 times, I think, with Mixon in the game, and they got more than a five-yard gain, I think, three times. I believe their success rate on early downs, as I pull it up right now, in terms of just rushing, uh, their success rate is 23rd in the league, which means they're getting positive expected points added on those plays. They're like, I still think it's improved compared to last year because last year was abysmal. And I think that's honestly where the biggest jump has been with the offensive line. They're just, I think they're being more consistent as a run, as as a run blocking unit, but it's also a unit that's still kind of getting to know each other and still forming cohesion. And there's some things that Joe Mixon could be better on too. So if they're going to commit to this very conservative early down play calling, they need to be more efficient with it. Absolutely. Well, the Bengals drop a, just a really frustrating game in Chicago fall to one and one they lose by three 20 to 17. And now they are going to go on to Pittsburgh. We're going to preview that and get you updated with all the injury stuff and what the Bengals need to do in order to come out with a win, a big win at Heinz field. We'll get to that in just a little bit. We've got believe it or not on deck, but before we get to some hot take topics on believe it or not, we want to tell you about symbol S I M B U L L. It is the stock market for sports, John, where folks can buy shares of stock in teams, whether it's one that ones that they are passionate about or ones that they just see a good financial opportunity to make some money on. And you can you can buy them, you can trade them and sell them off like stocks. If you play the stock market, if you play fantasy football, if you play survival football, you got to add symbol to your slate that you that you 
participate in. It is different and you can do it. You can approach it, John, one of two ways. You can approach it from a short-term standpoint where you can maybe just invest real quick. You see a good opportunity and you sell off, make a little money that way. Or you maybe see a team that is rebuilding and is headed in the right direction and you can invest that way, play it long-term and sell it off as you make a little money that way. But if you use the promo code OBI, you get a free week of symbol gold. So I, I think, John, you can do more than just invest in the Bengals, right, with Symbol? Yeah, luckily you can invest in some of the 2-0 and teams, or maybe you can buy low on some of the 0-2 teams right now, or you can just venture out of the NFL entirely. You can focus on the last few weeks of the MLB season, the NBA starting back up in a month, and also college football is in full swing. You can invest in literally any one of those teams from all of those, all of those sports leagues, professional or not, by going to Symbol.app, that's S-I-M, B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash O-B-I. Use the promo code O-B-I to get your free week of symbol gold and invest, like Anthony said, in some of your favorite teams or some of the teams that you think are on the verge of taking that next step and you can watch their sim price increase. You can make money off of your sports knowledge. You can leverage that sports knowledge that you've accumulated over the course of your life. Now you have a medium to make money and cash in on some of these long-term payouts. Go to symbol.app backslash O-B-I to start your free week of symbol gold. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. That said, let's get to one of our favorite segments. Okay. It's Steelers week. <laughs> week that everyone loves around here. Everyone, no animosity, no, no hard feelings, no... No memories about it all. Bengals need to play well this week. It's just plain and simple. They need to play better than they, than they did against the Bears. The Steelers know who this team is. They have now two weeks of film on the Bengals right now. And those two weeks on the offensive side of the ball look very similar, despite the results coming out in a win in week one and coming out in a disappointing loss in week two, where they had less than 200 yards of offense before two late garbage time touchdowns kind of salvaged the whole performance. But just like we talked about in the first segment, the, the whole conversation right now is with the offense and what its identity is or just what the constraints are with Joe Burrow and what the plan is with Zach Taylor and how to mitigate around the concerns with his quarterback's knee and the offensive line in general. The Steelers aren't going to be any easier. In fact, they're an even more talented pass rush when they're healthy. We can talk a little bit about the health of that pass rush later on, but it kind of feels like if you're the Bengals and you're Zach Taylor – you're not exactly more comfortable in this offensive line holding up and pass protection for more than three seconds for Joe Burrow facing off against the likes of TJ Watt, Melvin Ingram, Cam Hayward, and Alex Highsmith if he's healthy. So I guess the question is, and this is what I, th I think media members were trying to ask him, like, does that plan of getting the ball out quickly and putting your quarterback in empty sets in order to get the ball out quickly and mitigate passers, does that, is that plan going on and going to be persisted with the hopes of it getting better this week against the even more talented defense? Or do you kind of press the pause button 
see where you're at, knowing that it's not exactly working out and it's not being really efficient and it's putting your quarterback in even more danger and the adjustments come. Believe it or not, we see meaningful adjustments in the offensive game plan against one of the more toughest defenses that the Bengals will face all year. I I believe it, but I believe it to a certain extent. So I, I believe that Zach heard a lot of noise this week and a lot of criticism about the, the game plan. He had two of his biggest offensive players and best players in Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow come out and kind of say, you know, we didn't really take a lot of deep shots until late, you know, that all that kind of stuff. And, and I, so I, I think he's going to alter things a bit. Now, the whole Xavier Suofilo, Jackson Carmen thing also th- plays a role in this, right? So we, we don't know, and we'll talk about that. We don't know exactly who's going to start quite yet. They, they've said if Jackson Carmen's going to come in, they have all the faith in the world in Jackson Carmen. Well, all the faith in the world put him at one point as, what, the third-string guard uh, at some <laughs> point in, in preseason as your second-round pick. So, you know, you can say that and you can put that belief out there for everybody to digest, but, you know, actions speak louder than words, and we're going to need to see if Jackson Carmen, if he does start, how he can hold up against a lot of these great pass rushers and, and defensive linemen that the Steelers employ. That said, I, I do think there's going to be some adjustments. I do think we're going to see a little bit more of the intermediate passing game. I do think we may see John some formations where you're going to get, you know, extra tight end help uh, on some of these uh, formations to, to get a little bit of a chip and other creative things. But I think we just, we kind of know what the offensive line is a bit at this point. The odd, the odd thing to me, the offensive line, if you look at some of the metrics, they're pretty high up in pass block win rate, right? I mean, it, it's a weird dichotomy with the hits and the sacks and all this kind of stuff, but they actually are winning a lot of their pass blocks. So I, I see that as problems picking up blitzers, problems with stunts and different things of that nature, that that's kind of plaguing this offensive line. So that needs to be cleaned up. But I do think to some extent, we're going to see an alteration of the offensive game plan. On the subject of pass block win rate, which I think a lot of people have undermined the credibility of that metric based off what their eyes are telling them. I believe that is calculated using data and player tracking data of the first two and a half seconds after the snap. Now, Joe Burrow's average time to release is just under two and a half seconds, yeah, I believe. I think it's actually yeah. well under compared to the league to the league average. So he's getting the ball out quickly, which is why he's not getting hit on every play. So as long as the offensive lineman, based off of the tracking data, is in like in front of the pass rusher, he won that rep. But the problem is the ball when the ball doesn't get out quickly and you're in an empty set, and you're in you only have five blockers going up against four or five pass rushers. If the ball doesn't get out within two and a half seconds, that pass rush then becomes ball that pass blocking, pass protection becomes vulnerable at that point. And then you start to have the pocket kind of break, the integrity of the pocket kind of gets disrupted, or it gets under pressure, or, or then there's sacks. Like the offense line isn't playing terrible. They're being put in a situation where they need to be perfect, and they haven't been perfect. But they're in that situation in theory, to protect them or to protect the quarterbacks so the ball can get out early. The problem right now is that defenses are recognizing when you're in empty. You're not you're not running intermediary in your intermediary routes. You're not running down the field that much because the ball is designed to get out quickly, and that's that's just not the case, right? There are deep shots that you can take where the, it's just maybe a three step drop and you throw out the first hitch, right? But that rarely happens when you have five wideouts. The defense is playing up on it because they know the ball is going to get out, which is that was the problem. Like 
the Bears knew exactly to just sit down on these routes and just stay in front. And there was no separation. There was no windows for Burrow to get the ball quickly. And after two and a half seconds, then you started to have Bears come in on it. So I, I think with pass block win rate, it, it's fine for what it is, but it, it doesn't tell the whole story of the struggles of this offense. The yeah. offensive line looks a lot worse right now because of the situation that they're in. And Jordan Dallas kind of echoing, I think, uh, or, or, disagreeing with me i don't know uh pass block win rate means nothing if you cannot pick up a stunt blitz ultimately leading to a pre- pressure that's kind of what i was saying it's you know there's this odd dichotomy between you know the pass block win rate which you also kind of noted w- where the issues are with that statistic and then you know that what we're seeing from the Bengals offensive line but i i think they're gonna you know they're, they're gonna do something at times different i think we're gonna see empty sets we're gonna see that uh i think that's just part of also what Joe Burrow can do well and did a lot of at LSU and they want to make him comfortable in that regard. But I think they're going to have to adjust. I mean, they're, they just, what, what happened last week and the turnovers and the hits and the sacks, it's just not sustainable. And the predictability that we saw out of some of those empty sets, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like th- there's going to be some adjust. Do you feel like there's going to be a, an adjustment from it? I mean, I know you, you talked about the empty set or do you feel that they're just going to keep trying to, I don't want to use the phrase bang their head against the wall, but I mean, (laughs) a little bit of that, I guess. So they passed out of empty, I think 14 times by my count and Burrow, what threw the ball 30 or so times. Mm -hmm. I I think it was like almost exactly 30. So half the time it was out of those looks. I don't think that that percentage, that ratio is going to be as high, but it's still going to be part of the offense. It has value in the offense when it's, when it's done right, when it's integrated with a bunch of different concepts, it has value, but knowing that what the defense knows is coming, like you have to adjust for that, right? You have to see how they're adjusting and you have to counter that. That's part of just being a good play caller, right? Like if the, like this is never an issue with Andy Reid or Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, like this is Zach Taylor still kind of learning how to adjust off of his original plan. Like it worked against the Vikings or it worked well enough where there didn't really need to be adjustments, but the adjustments kind of came too little too late against the Bears. And as far as like the deep shots go, you're like, yeah, we want to see Burrow, you know, launch it deep and, and stretch out the defense a little bit more. But again, he can't really do that in an offense that's predicated around th- these short routes and these concepts out of empty. So I do think that we will see Burrow kind of under center more. Maybe they utilize more bootlegs and stuff to get him out of the pocket, get him more comfortable in extending plays like that. So I, I think we'll see adjustments in that sense, but you'll still see empty sets and you'll still see fans kind of on the edge of their seats whenever that happens. Yep, they're going to have to shake the predictability of of some of the things that we saw last week. And also, you know, I think Burrow has a lot of confidence in in his wide receivers winning these contested catches and throwing into these tight windows. Um, and, you know, I think that is part of it where that frustrating interception on the side to, to T. Higgins where he just, I mean, the defender was all over it. And, uh, you know, I, I think he still – has has a lot. I mean, he's a confident guy. He's got a, he's got a lot of confidence not only in his own abilities but of that of his wide receivers. Let's go to another one on the believe it or not, John. I've got one here this week to me, and I don't. I guess we could be over dramatic about it, and we've probably ha- asked this question a bunch of times <laughs> in Zach Taylor's tenure. Is, is this the most important game in Zach Taylor's coaching career coming up? It's week three. I know it's overdramatic. There's a, he's probably got, regardless, the whole season, even if this thing spirals out of control, he's probably got the whole season to work with here. But 
expectations not only to be competitive, maybe even sneaky playoff good, but expectations to be competitive, expectations to win division games, win division games on the road. It's the Steelers. Is this and, and how they played last week and lost? Is this the most important game in Zach Taylor's coaching career at this point? So this is interesting. So this is interesting because none of us expected what happened last December to happen when Ryan Finley read option man ran all <laughs> over the Steelers and somehow won that game like that. That win I think became the most important win in Zach Taylor's tenure because it, it may have or may not have saved his job for how crazy and impactful that it was on the end of that season but yeah like this is now year three so the the losses become more dramatic and more crucial to the status of his job security but there are higher expectations for this Bengals roster for this team at this point to compete against that team on the other side of the Ohio River like I there's definitely an argument I think I don't think it will be the most important game of the season when we look back on it but as of now, as a guy who's only coached 34 games, this is his 35th. Yeah, it, it might actually be the most important considering the questions that are rising now about his credibility as, as a coach. Like I, I thought about this on Monday. Like the one thing that he had going for him is that he's a player's coach, right? He takes feedback very well. He's very open. Like Mike Daniels talked about it. Like he knows how to treat his vets. He's very open with with criticism, with, with feedback, with his players. There's an open line of communication and that's like the biggest thing that he has going for him as a coach and that was almost put into question this week when both Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow kind of indirectly called him out a little bit and how he was going to respond with that does he maintain the status of not really having an ego that a young head coach has or does does he kind of assert that more and it kind of seemed like he kind of held his ground and, and was really short with a response to that stuff right, right now so there is there are questions about the validity of how safe that he is in the long term. And now he's got this really important divisional game coming off a really bad loss. I think there is a definite argument that this is the most important game of his career thus far. I'm not advocating the fact that it's the most important game in terms of an immediate knee-jerk decision on his status as the team team's coach. I'm talking actually more long-term. I'm talking about the most important game for this team to, and its fan base and everyone associated with the team to feel like it's turning a corner. Mm-hmm. It's critical year three. Whatever happens after this week happens, but you can get a win at home, barely in overtime over a Minnesota team. That's an, Oh, by the way, now Owen two. you can go into, into week four. If you're one and two, let's say you lose to the Steelers, you can go and get a, a win against the Jaguars team that is clearly rebuilding at home on a, on an emotional night. You, you can you can get those kinds of wins, but when you don't get a win that you are expected to maybe get in Chicago, you feel like you should have won that one. And now here you go approaching the division games and the Pittsburgh Steelers feeling that they're still one on one. They got a great win in Buffalo week one, but they're still feeling like a bit more vulnerable than we have seen in recent history. I, you know, just going in here for feeling good about where this team is headed feeling good about, hey, we made the adjustments on offense. Burrow looks better. Hey, we went into Pittsburgh, and we beat this team. I think it's really important, and, and we can talk about you know how the, the Pittsburgh game on Monday Night Football saved Zach Taylor's job last year. That was at home. This is going on the road and beating the bully in their house. It's, it's incredibly important. Not only do 
not only do all of those factors matter, but like Pittsburgh remembers that game too. As much as Bengals fans remember, Pittsburgh definitely remembers getting yep. humiliated in a setting that they normally don't get humiliated at, not only on Monday Night Football, but in Paul Brown Stadium where they haven't lost since like 2013. Like at, at, it was at a point where the rivalry didn't really feel like a rivalry anymore because one team was always coming out on top. And the Bengals just, with no expectations, knocked their socks off, literally at midfield, Juju Smith-Susher's socks. So, like, <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers remember that, and I think that's going to have some type of an edge with, with that. And, yeah, I think outperforming them on their turf you know, with that in the back of their minds it is another level of impressiveness, I guess, in, in a really, really real – Really weird way to put it. Jesus, I can't talk right now. <laughs> you know that the Steelers are looking at this game as their get-right game after losing to, to Las Vegas at home, right? I mean, you know, you, they, that's just the mindset that Steelers and their fan base have about the Bengals, and especially when the Bengals go to Heinz Field. It's just that's that's how they feel. And if the Bengals are truly, in my opinion, if the Bengals are to truly feel like they are turning a corner and heading in a direction that they want to head in under Zach Taylor with Joe Burrow as their quarterback, they need to not only play well, but they they need to win this game. I think if they go to one and two and it's another road loss, and what if it's another one possession loss, shoulda, woulda, couldas, that's going to just raise a lot of questions, man. But if they win, they're two and one going into playing probably an zero and three Jaguars game, and we'll be on here, and there'll be a ton of optimism, regardless of how they win. It's, right. it's still that point in the season where it's just wins and losses that set the narrative. Yep, yep. You got any any others before we end the segment and talk about the matchup against the Steelers for our believe it or not? Now let's move on. I need to find my tongue again. That was dreadful. <laughs> that last that last part. All right. Let's talk about it. Where do you want to start, my man? I think we got to start with injuries because there appears to be a lot of them right now. So let's start with, with the good guys. At Wednesday's practice, you had neither T. Higgins nor Xavier Suofilo practice. Um, T. Higgins' injury is officially a shoulder injury, which he injured after catching a screen against the Bears. Came back in that game after looking a bit shaken up and actually caught a touchdown. So maybe this is one of those things where if he – absolutely has to play like the playoffs are on the line maybe he does play but it's still week three and he's still 22 years old in the crucial part of the offense so maybe they're just playing it safe and thinking long term here but Xavier Sufilo we don't know when exactly he got hurt in the game and we didn't actually know what the injury was Zach Taylor just listed him as day-to-day earlier in the week but it is it is officially a knee injury so just like T Higgins it's possible that they both practice or neither of them practice this week but, yeah, that's where the Bengals are injury-wise. Trey Waynes also did not practice on Wednesday, but there was hope, at least from the words of Taylor, that he could start practicing again this week and potentially, potentially be like a game-time decision. But if Waynes isn't practicing Wednesday after not practicing the first two weeks, it's kind of hard to, to see him play unless he's a full participant on Thursday and Friday. Yeah, the the Thursday practice is always a big barometer and you know we're recording this Wednesday night for those joining live or, or listening after the fact. So we have to see what happens Thursday, and then we have to uh, you know obviously Friday is another one, but Thursday is a pretty good barometer as to players potentially playing the. It sounded like Higgins and I believe 
was it Ogunjobi? One of them, or, uh, Higgins and Suofilo, I think, were going to get limited work to, on Thursday, mm-hmm. it sounded like. So uh, Higgins, you know, we, we, we got to see what happens there. He's a big key. He, he needs to play and be healthy for the, for the Bengals to have a, a really good shot this week, I think. And then Suofilo, we talked about that earlier, John. Jackson Carmen potentially coming in there. To me, it almost sounded a little bit like they were kind of, I don't know. I don't know if they want to say, oh, there's there's, there's an injury here and they're talking about Jackson Carbon, and then it was like, is that kind of just a little bit of a intro for them to say, hey, get ready for Jackson Carmen this week? I don't know if you read that, read into those words the same way or not, but I kind of got a little feeling like maybe maybe there were some some talks about a change there. I mean, potentially. I think that was just how they were asked the question about Suofield. Like, naturally, if he's hurt, then the next option is Jackson Carmen. So I don't know if they would be willing to just say outright that, yeah, like, if if Suofield is out, then Carmen's going to be next up. I think they were just kind of responding to the situation as they were presented it. But, I mean, it is a great opportunity for him. Like, if – I mean, even if Suofield is healthy, he – hasn't exactly been great this year, specifically in pass blocking. He was not very good against the Bears, as were neither of any of the offensive linemen for the Bengals. Right, but right, right. at that point, like if Suofilo was struggling, regardless if he's 100% or not, it just kind of makes sense to give Carmen those reps because if both of them are struggling, you at least want to give Carmen the experience. Right, right. And then Tupo in there also, uh, you know, non-injury, uh, a personal day off. Tupo quietly also uh, part of that interior defensive line that's playing very, very well. Going down to the Steelers, John, Big Ben has an injury. (laughs) Big Ben has a pectoral injury. He did not practice, and Mike Tomlin has said that he will be, I don't know, pampered or they will have to make adjustments based on this injury. How many times have we heard about Ben Roethlisberger being injured before, during, whatever a, a Bengals game it just it's an annual tradition unlike any other i'll tell you what i got three little hot sauces remaining if ben doesn't play i'm <laughs> chugging one of them 100 percent. all right you heard it you heard I'll, it i'll chug another one if tj watt doesn't play he was also i think limited yeah on wednesday with a groin a lot of these guys on the screen are on the practice report they will play that's yeah. just how this goes <laughs> Yeah, uh, the big loss that he's not listed there because they put him on IR. Tyson Alu Alu, who's had a nice career resurgence since uh, leaving Jacksonville and going to Pittsburgh, um, he uh, fractured his ankle in last week's game and he is on IR. So, uh, kind of a big loss in the interior there for the Steelers. And then Deontay Johnson, that's the one I, I'm not sure about, John. I mean, I think some of these, you know, you've got groin injuries and, and Eric Ebron coach's decision, that sort of thing. Um, I expect to see most, if not all of those Deontay Johnson, they were a little afraid that he had a significant knee injury ended up. He did not thankfully for him. So that's the only one I'm kind of sitting here saying that's, that's the iffy one to me, the most iffy, uh, based on Wednesday's report. Yeah, it sucks for Johnson. I think he got hurt on the last play of the Steelers game against the Raiders. And that's why he might not play in this game. So the Bengals and Steelers could be both without one of their starting receivers. Alex Highsmith is another interesting one. The Steelers Mm -hmm. right now, a great pass rush, but Highsmith I think is basically what Josh Tupo would have been for this team, for the Bengals at least, like that rotational guy that comes in along with Melvin Ingram and maybe behind uh, T.G. Watt, but very athletic and very talented in his own right. So any 
any guy who's out for the Steelers pass rush is an automatic win for the Bengals. Absolutely. So that's kind of the updated, most updated as of this week so far. We tend to believe that most of those players will play, maybe even all of them, but most of those players should play based on their practice status as of Wednesday and some of the things we've been hearing at this point. So, John, I guess I'll kind of just go here in terms of keys to the game. Is is the offense offensive performance or the defensive performance more important this week? And I know that sounds like an easy question on its surface because we've been spending most of today talking about the offensive issues, the game plan issues, all that kind of stuff. But how many times have we seen the Pittsburgh Steelers in a close game get a lead in the fourth quarter and then they just run the ball down the Bengals' throats and grind the clock and the defense can't stop it? So I guess the question would be, especially when this is a potentially get-right game for Pittsburgh, is is the defensive performance and they're staying consistent more important or the offensive output is that more important this week well for the sake of trying not to underestimate another opponent for a second straight week i still would say it's the offense because there's nothing about the steelers offense right now that should concern a Bengals defense that's playing as well as they are like Najee harris very talented like matt canada great addition to the steelers offense i think he provides a lot of creativity that they did not have under Randy Fitchner or whoever the former offense coordinator was. I think he's it's a great fit for what they want to do, but they don't really have the personnel right now. Like we, we this is a this is a topic for a little further on in this um, in this segment. But their offensive line is just not it's just not good, <laughs> and, and that sucks for Najee Harris because he's an exciting talent, but he's only averaging like three and a half yards per carry right now. They don't have the personnel to do what they normally do against the Bengals. Big Ben is still getting the ball out really quickly, so there's not that much explosion in the passing game. It's in a lot of ways limited like what the Bengals offense is limited right now. So I think it's up to the Bengals offense to just – it's going to be, in my opinion, like kind of an ugly game, probably low scoring, but the Bengals just end up having just one or two more extra possessions where they can just put points on the board. I think that's honestly the key of the game. And obviously they have more questions than the defense right now. It's still, I think, too early to crown the Bengals defense as this top defense, but – there's still so much more potential for this Bengals offense, and it's going to be tough against that defense, but that has to be the matchup. We know the Steelers' defense is good regardless of who they play. We don't know if just yet if the Bengals' offense is all that was hyped up to be this offseason. Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of the comment, live commenter sec, uh, comments here, sentiments there, that I think it's on the offense this week, particularly what we saw last week, four turnovers against the Bears. I mean, it's easy to say the defense has to play well against Ben and Claypool and Juju and all of these uh, all of these weapons that they have. But the offensive line, I see yeah, P. Crawley, 5-1-3, five, saying, yeah, 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 Anthony. That's when they had an offensive line. I agree. The offensive line for the Steelers is not a characteristic offensive line that we have grown to know from Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I, I, I think – while I do think the pass rush remains key for the Bengals in this game and getting Ben Roethlisberger to the ground, I think it's on the offense, especially based on what we, we saw last week. You got to score points to win and you got to take advantage of opportunities. And we, we know this as well. If we know about the Steelers historically running the ball late down the Bengals throats, we also know how a turnover from the offensive side of the ball of the Bengals 
can snowball out of control. So they have to really, really limit that. I think this week too, John. Yeah, I think so. The Bears only had like what just three real points off of it. I mean, I know they intercepted one for a touchdown, but I think the other two turnovers, they had, it was like a field goal and I think a punt maybe. I I don't think they scored on all four of the Bengals turnovers. And that was key. It yeah. may not happen against the Steelers if they have that same performance. So, yeah, the defense has stepped up. It looks really impressive. And if they don't play a good game, then it could be um, just that's just added pressure towards an offense that has to go up against a really talented defense that they might not have the personnel to go up against. But I, I still think all eyes have to be kind of on the offense right now because that's where just most of the questions are. We talked about it a little bit, but what what adjustments are you hoping to see from the Bengals on offense to pretend since that we both agree that that is kind of the more important important facet for the team this week in terms of its potential success? What what adjustments are you looking to make and where does Joe Mixon fit into that potential adjustment? So I think they still like what they're doing with running the football. It's just a matter of making sure that you know blocking is consistent, but like it just didn't click for whatever reason against the bears and the bears have a really talented front seven. And I don't think you're going to see that much more success by doing the same things against the Steelers. It was interesting last week because they were never really, they were, they were never down against the Vikings. So their game script never had to be adjusted and they were just doing the same thing. And then they got down really early against the bears, but there wasn't any aggressiveness. There wasn't any progressiveness with their offense. It was still really conservative. It was still running a lot on early downs. I think they could expect to be down early again this game. I'm I'm expecting the urgency to pick up a little bit a little bit earlier in this game. I don't think that they could just sit on their hands and just hope that Burrow doesn't get hurt by rolling out the same conservative game plan. I think we do see more urgency towards the beginning if it comes to that. Now they could get off to a hot start and they could be doing the things that they want to do, which is what they did what they did against Minnesota. But I think they understand that. Last week was terrible. It can't be repeated again. And you're in an even more compromising, more high-pressure situation this week in the division on the road. I think the urgency comes a little bit more, and that's why you'll see a more diverse passing game, a more aggressive passing game on early downs. But again, if they do have the lead and they can run the ball, they absolutely will do that. Yeah, I'd like to see them also implement a, a few more. Um, you know, And again, these, these have – the opportunity to be a negative play as well, but they didn't do this as much in week two. I, I feel like as they did in week one, the running back screens, um, you know, other kind of safer passes where they can set up some blocking and, and get some yards after the catch. Some of those opportunities feels like that was far more, far less frequent in week two. And maybe they were, it was because they were further behind the sticks in certain downs um, because they just weren't running as effectively, but I'd like to see a little bit more of that, some of those safer throws, maybe even, you know, tight end screens to Uzama, something like that, uh, where they can get a safe play, get some yards and and get in good position down um, in, in later downs if they do that early on. I don't know how you feel about that, but um, that would be something I'd, I'd like to see a little more implemented this week. Yeah, they only ran – well, they tried to run a screen against the Bears, yeah. and I think Jamar Chase didn't realize what the play call was. Like, right. I, I I can see them doing things. It's honestly just an execution thing. Like, whenever they run play action and they just try to target, like, Uzoma and the flat, like, they don't sell it at all. And just the opposition just picks up immediately. And those should be easy, schemable yards and separation. That's just not happening. They're not doing the things that make the easy plays easy, I guess. And everything is just a lot harder – for them and it 
it all it all falls on execution. And when you have lapses in execution and you're still trying to do these easy things that aren't netting easy yards, it just makes your job a lot harder, man. And that's just something that they can't afford to mess up and miss on with the Steelers because they will attack any opening that they give you. And they're really they have so much tape on this Bengals team right now, and they have two weeks of fresh tape for them to use. So man. It's it's up to a, it's up to a head coach and play caller who's not really known for executing his creativity to execute his creativity. So I can understand why they're four and a half point underdogs right now. Do you see an increase based on what I kind of said about you know running back screens or you know passes to the running back, and then the pass blocking issues that we've seen from Mixon and, and Samaje P. Ryan? Do you see any kind of bigger role for for Chris Evans this week? He had the 14 yard catch last week, didn't get the first down because it was third and forever. But uh, you know he he got had a catch last week. I heard you say on another show this week that Evans is perhaps at least from some of the college tape, perhaps the best blocking running back the Bengals have of that group at this point. I don't know, but do you foresee if, if you do believe that sentiment, do you foresee him getting a few more snaps this week and maybe being an effective weapon for the Bengals to use? Right. Everyone has been asking like, Oh, this team misses Giovanni Bernard. Well, their Giovanni Bernard replacement is on the bench right now. And he gives you the exact things that a young geo and an old geo did so well like he has the elusiveness explosiveness of a 21 year old Bernard but he has the pass blocking capability of an older Bernard that that was basically his main role towards the latter part of his Bengals career he's still a rookie and he didn't do it that much in the preseason but when he did it looked pretty damn impressive that's just been really disappointing I think from from Mixon's perspective like they were they were counting on him to be better and more refined in the area and he's just quite literally lift whiffed on the opportunity opportunity thus far. So it, it really sucks that he's just not up to that role right now. But I think that has to be why Chris Evans sees the field more. And when he's on the field and on those third downs, he's not always going to be pass protecting. He did get his first catch against the Bears, 14 yards to get him into field goal range at the beginning of the, of the second half. So yeah. there definitely should be more of a role for Chris Evans going forward because they kind of need him. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it, it is disappointing about – Mixing in the pass blocking aspect, at least because Burrow all all preseason and training camp was was applauding about how much work he has put in and how much he seemed to have been improved in that aspect, but uh, not showing it on PFF scores and some of the some of the tape that we've seen. Let's let's kind of start closing this up a little bit. Uh, how I mean. How big of a factor is Jackson Carmen going to be if he does start either positively or negatively? I mean, I. He's kind of it's obviously kind of a bit of a wild card. And if he does get the start, John, do you feel exponentially worse, better, about the same from the offensive line? And because we know the offensive line is going to be one of the biggest keys of this game. So the Steelers can just they can do whatever they want against the Bengals offensive line. They just have done it for the past few years, but they also know how to get creative in terms of pressure pressure packages against them like last year against when it was at Pittsburgh I just could I I needed both hands to count how many times they ran just simple stunts and twists and the Bengals were just completely perplexed and they didn't know how to manage it and then gave up a lot of pressures on Burrow because of it and that's what kind of what the Bears did against Burrow last week and I think they were better at at managing and handling it but 
like throwing in a rookie to kind of take on that when you have both TJ Watt and Cameron Hayward kind of looping around each other. It's going to be a lot if he's tasked with it, but that was also something that he was really good at with Clemson. He was a great mental processor and pass protection. He could pass off and receive stunts and loopers with, with ease compared to most 20 year old uh, tr- true juniors in the college game. So it's, it's a great matchup and opportunity for him to showcase maybe his biggest strength in pass protection, but at the same time, it's Steelers against a rookie offensive lineman, and it could spell trouble if needed. I wholeheartedly agree. I'm kind of of the mind. I mean, it's nothing against Xavier Suofilo, though. It's kind of like this is your second-round draft pick. This was your highest draft investment on the offensive line and one of the biggest areas in which you needed to improve this football team. I mean, I understand the need and the desire for a veteran, some veteran consistency, but I'm kind of of the mindset here. It's it's not like Sue Filo's lighting the, the film on fire, right? It's it's you may want to you may want to think about getting Harmon in there at some point, and uh, you know this week would be tricky to do so, and it ha- could have the ability to blow up in your face, but it's a high investment you made in this kid and you seem to believe in him at least to some degree. I don't know. Like, but for the first time, I think we can actually legitimately ask this question. Like the Steelers defense line is still really good, regardless if TJ Watt plays like Cam Hayward, still the beast. They still have Melvin Ingram. Who's still really good, even though he's on the other side of 30 now, but now their offensive line is kind of in disarray. It's very much in a flux. It's a lot more inexperienced than the Bengals offensive line is, and there's just still a lot of questions with it. So now we can actually ask the question with the Bengals defensive line playing really well, do the Bengals have an advantage against the Steelers offensive line more than the Steelers have an advantage against the Bengals offensive line? It's very close, and it's a lot closer than it has been in recent years. I, I, I actually think so. I actually think that they do based on, you know, a very small sample size. And I'll tell you why, because when the Bengals did have some success on defense against Pittsburgh and in some of those, I have to go back and look at the stats, but it was when Geno Atkins was able to generate inside pressure and get into the backfield. And, you know, we've seen years and years and years worth of Bengals edge rushers, Dunlap even, and others get their arms, come around the edge, get their arms around Ben. He steps up makes a backyard football type of throw, and it's just a ridiculous play. But <laughs> when Geno Atkins was able to get pressure in the middle combined with some edge pressure as well, that's when the sacks came. That's when the Bengals would get the ball back. And seeing Joby, Reader, Hill, Tupo, all of those guys playing well on the interior, and then you're getting some good play also from Hendrickson and, and Hubbard on the edges – Throw in sample a little bit as a rotational guy. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I do feel that the Bengals, particularly in the state of the Pittsburgh offensive line, I do think they do have, oddly enough, an advantage up front on defense. Yeah, and just like you said back in the day when the Bengals had a great front four to rush the passer without blitzing, Ben would just kind of negate it with his with his ability to extend and evade sacks. He's not that bent anymore. He's getting the ball even quicker, which will make it harder for them to finish some of these pressures if he is getting it out and and not holding on to it to be sacked. But this is the best that the Bengals defensive line has looked in recent years, and this is the worst that the Steelers offensive line has looked in recent years. And you no longer have a big Ben who is good at getting out of the pocket and just being a behemoth with the ball and being really hard to bring down. So this is an advantage that they have to take advantage of. And if they don't, 
it's going to just add, add more pressure to that offense. Yeah. Well, we're going a little long here. Let's let's do predictions on this one and then drop the mic and get out of here. What do you do you have a score prediction for us, John? How do you feel this one's gonna go? I think it's gonna be kind of ugly. I don't think either offense is set up to do well against either defense, at least right now. It, it's it's gonna have to be Zach Taylor surprising us um in terms of just adapting on the fly. The Steelers defense is going to be ready for basically whatever he has going for them. So I don't foresee a great offensive performance, at least not yet. I think they still have a lot of things to figure out. But I don't think it's going to be a blow-up by any means, and I don't think that it's going to be easy for the Steelers either because of some very similar issues. But it is on the road. I think the Steelers are still a little bit ahead of them, so I'm going to go with some type of ugly 16-13 to victory for Pittsburgh. I'll say 20 to 16 Pittsburgh. This was one I had, unfortunately, as a loss for the Bengals, but I had them going 2 and 0 out of the gate, I believe. I have to go back and look, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what I had. And then, you know, yeah, I had this one losing, and then maybe they get the one at home later. But this, even, even with us predicting a loss for the Bengals on this one, which isn't easy for us to do, this still remains a big game. It still remains a winnable one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it remains a big game for the Bengals in terms of a barometer of where they are as a team, where they are as an offense, where Zach Taylor has been able to take this team. And if they are able to get a win, um, which which is attainable, if they are able to get a win, I, that, that would be huge for this season and really building block going forward, I think. Yeah, man, like, I don't know. It, it's I don't want to undermine what the Steelers are good at, but I also don't want to crown them as this team that they clearly aren't and they aren't anymore. This is a very new Steelers team, just like it's a very new Bengals team. And it just felt like for a long time that they were kind of stuck in their ways and their identities were pretty similar, but I think they're trying to become different types of teams while maintaining the strengths that they have. And I think for both of them, it's just going to take a minute, but at least the Steelers have continuity with, with the coaching staff and they know that their coaching staff is pretty good, but the Bengals are going into a hostile environment. They're coming off of a bad week. And again, I think it's going to take a surprise performance from Zach Taylor and his staff to formulate a game plan to not only negate a really talented Steelers pass rush, but to unlock some of the potential in this offense. And it could happen. It very well could. I don't think that the Steelers are still a great team necessarily, but I think it's really right now in very much of a see it to believe it type of uh, situation. Well said. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. I see Randall is wearing his Sheeran lid up there. I love it. You were rocking that at uh, week one there. That was good stuff. What do you What do you have for us to hop on out of here? Not Not anything really necessarily. Um, as a lot of people in this program know, my mom is a big Steelers fan, so. It, Oh yeah, that's just, right. just just go just go easy, I guess, on the generalization of Steelers fans. I know a lot of them have given you guys a lot of crap, and I understand that. But just 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 think twice before generalizing on an entire demographic. You know, just just for me, just for me. I I love it. And uh, have you been to to a game a Pitts a Bengals Steelers game with her? Like in not person? to a Bengals Steelers you know game. That or, okay. Okay. No, I've been to a Steelers game at Heinz Field. They lost to the Raiders, I believe, in like 2009. So that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I know that's that this is a, a Sheeran house divided this week um, based on allegiances and whatnot. But 
have have fun regardless. Uh, I don't really have much either. I kind of said a lot last week based on the trip and all that kind of stuff. I just, uh, you know, I, I one thing I, that kind of crossed my mind a little bit, and it was with a chat with, um, we'll, we'll tease this out here for a an episode that's going to drop later this week, but we had a chat with someone who covers the Steelers, um, Mark Bergen, and he is with the Believe Podcast Network. So we'll be putting that out for you there to digest this weekend. But one of the things that I asked him about was about Mike Hilton and Sean Davis. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how big of an impact, particularly Hilton, but maybe Sean Davis has for the Bengals this week in terms of maybe knowing a little bit of what, a little bit more of what to expect from the Steelers offense, from Ben Roethlisberger and, and all these other guys. I, I, this, this is one of those games you sign a Mike Hilton for, right, John? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, this is, it's a physical game. It's going to be an emotional game. And obviously you got to get turnovers. You got to get big plays. So I, I'm really, really interested to see those two, particularly Mike Hilton, who was basically my favorite free agency signing by the Bengals this year. And I know you're too shy to say it, but, it is your birthday coming up, is it not, at the end of this week? It is, yeah. It's uh, Friday. Actually, it's my my wife and I have the same exact birthday, month, day, year. So I don't – I don't. are you birthday. serious? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so I don't have a birthday anymore. It's just her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, last one before I turn the big 4-0, dude. So I'm, I'm getting old. Well, happy birthday to Mrs. Kazenza. And um, – <laughs> I can't, you know, if it is your birthday as well, you know, I guess happy birthday to you too. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's Friday. It's both of ours. So we'll, we're going to have some fun just with kind of uh, maybe friends. I don't know, but definitely some family. And obviously I'm, I'm hoping for the Bengals win for the, for the birthday, John. I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping for it, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not holding my breath at this point. Anyway, thank you for the well wishes. Thank you. There's a lot of people saying happy birthday as well. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you, John. I know we'll be talking throughout the week and uh, on Sunday for sure. Keep it to cincyjungle.com so you can read great work from my co-host over there at Cincy Jungle. News, opinions, analysis, breakdowns, updates, all kinds of stuff there. Get this show, get Chalk Talk and Orange is the New Black, all of the podcasts on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network on your favorite audio streamer. You got to go subscribe to our channel on your favorite audio streamer. Leave a review for us too, if you wouldn't mind. And then of course, if you like the video stuff that we do, subscribe to our YouTube channel, turn on the bell for notifications so that you get notified when we go live, when new stuff is available and all kinds of good stuff. Go catch up on what we've done this week so far on the show. We've got more coming up for you, John. Have a good weekend, my friend. Have a good weekend as well. All right. Take it easy, everybody.